So this is kind of an odd one. This we're making this cast seventeen zero one seven, and right. uh, Mike and I were talking actually about last podcast subject addiction to victimhood, and our conversation was kind of wandering along, and I said start the recording because we really need to talk about this in our podcast. We may get back to us uh, addiction to victimhood, maybe yes, you know. But the reality is it's all tied in together with factors going on throughout our world in the Christian world, the religious world, the economic, the political world, the educational world, the social world. I mean, everywhere, the reality is victimhood and an addiction to victimhood is is becoming truly a pandemic in the human condition. We love being victimized and then playing that card. So one of the things that Mike was just saying was how does that happen? How does the idea of, of being the world's victim and using that for powerful purposes in? Well, I think that what we're talking about in relationship of of a situation with people who have started out maybe at a low level and build this incredible organization. And as the organization grows and in our society, you know, in the, in the American society, it's, it's really about entrepreneurship and charisma and, all those kinds of dynamics that come into play. And as that organization, if you will, begins to grow and gets bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and you're the leader of that, or you're in that organization that all of a sudden starts to become a world in of itself. Um, you've lost perspective of the rest of the world around you. And what, what I call, you know, you're circling the wagons. In other words, you're bringing people of like-mindedness in with you. You're bringing people who are, who are all rah-rah supportive of you. You're bringing people in who won't question you, won't ask the hard questions because you don't want to hear the hard questions. You just want to keep going and going and going because you're getting great success, but you're not seeing all the signs of what's happening within the structure and the framework of this organization that is starting to crack and is struggling to stay up with you know, the, the relentless moving forward and the new and all of that. And then when things start to implode and the, and the, that starts to fall apart, then what do you do at that point? Well, somebody's got to be to blame. And what we find in so many of those scenarios, particularly in the world that Mike and I work in, because we work in the church world a lot, we work in the Christian world a lot, is that all of a sudden the tables get turned and it's no longer, I'm not the one, 
but it's all of these other things that have caused me to get to this point. So I start pushing it out and I become the victim when really what is happening is you're not the victim, you've been the perpetrator, you've just developed a entire environment and sociological structure that has placed you in a place of now you can turn around and say, see, see what they've done, see what it's done to me, see what all the pressure is. I mean, it just goes on and on and on at that level. And then that becomes in itself empowering to that person because they start doing some pretty strange stuff at that point. Well, you would use two terms that are really important in this entire discussion, the perpetrator and the victim. And, and in our way of, of, of dismantling a complex situation, we have human words that we're going to define and put into the conversation so we can begin talking about it and developing some some understanding and then some strategies for dealing with it. What's fascinating is the line between the perpetrator and the victim is often not very well-defined. Sometimes they actually blend right over. So the perpetrator is also the victim. The victim is also the perpetrator. And one of the challenges in today's world is we want to preserve the rights and privileges of the victim not to be the cause of their own victimization. Right. However, if you're going to solve it, if this is going to be something you work through and resolve the power that it has in your life, that a person remains victimized by an event that happened years or decades earlier, getting a grip on that, holding something that is incredibly hot, incredibly sharp, incredibly toxic, and taking ownership of it is the only way to begin to get through it. But one of the things that Mike had just said just before we got back on camera with this is the issue of transparency. And when transparency begins to, let's say, slowly turn to opacity, it starts to become less visible to see who the person really is. They're a little bit more opaque. It's not a switch that just turns on and turns off that a person is cellophane clear. And then all of a sudden they're completely uh, uh, darkened all the way out. You can't see anything about it. It doesn't happen like that. It happens one tiny story at a time and everyone does it. I don't often use ever, never always language (laughs) that usually signals for me. A person is eliminating some aspect of the truth or the information in order to make their case. But in the human condition, when we say words, we can only say one at a time. I mean, just try saying two words simultaneously. They're both garbled. You don't say any, either one clearly. So because we can only say one word at a time and one sentence in a string and one concept in a group of sentences, the challenge is how do you get the whole truth out in words and comments. It just can't be done. 
So you have to leave something out. Something right. gets unsaid. Right. You get to choose what piece of information doesn't get said. And that's where the issue of transparency and opacity usually starts. It's when a person starts protecting information that would change the course if someone else knew it. Right, right. And that's when it begins to happen. Right. And what then it becomes very, very subtle in so many organizations with individuals because as the risk of others finding out the information that they may not agree with, then and the organization has gotten bigger, that's gotten more complex. Now you have more money on the line, you have reputation on the line, you have ego on the line, you have all of these things that that keep pushing forward. The, the tendency is to become less transparent, more opaque, so that it's, well, it's, it's, it's the old thing of, well, I really didn't lie. I just didn't tell the entire well, truth, the entire truth. I told right. half of it or most of lie. it. Well, now most of it. we're tying this into big organizations and Christian uh, ministries and churches and all kinds of things that have very powerful uh, influence over the lives of many people. It happens between husbands and wives or yes. couples who are dating or a parent and their child or best friends in the neighborhood. It's not something that only happens in huge organizational structures. This is one of the reasons why uh, a couple can be married for uh, six months, six years, or 60 years, and all of a sudden there's little opacities, cloudiness, an avoidance of telling the truth completely that begins to creep in. When you begin to protect that information about yourself or what you're doing or why you're doing it or where the money went or where your time went or who you're close to, those kinds of things erode healthy relationships. That's what they right. do. Right. And then what you start doing is you start using the words that we say, you know, that, that are, are red flags for us. Always. You always tell me I'm wrong. Or you never. Always. You never say something good about me. You use those, you start looking for those words and start hearing those words is that, you know, you never want to do what I want to do. Well, what is that? That's saying, I am now the victim by the way you're being treated. You're treating me, excuse me. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm the victim because you're treating me poorly. So if you just treated me well, this wouldn't be a problem. Well, we're going, mm, 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 no, that doesn't work that way. Because if, if you want your relationships to be healthy, the, some of the most difficult thing you would do is be transparent. Doesn't mean you have to be rude or whatever, but you will be open and transparent in those relationships and own your part of the equation of what's going on. Not projecting that on somebody else. When you know, when people talk about 
And I know that this this probably will make some people frustrated and even angry. Uh, people say, you know, uh, in divorces, you know, well, you know, I, look what all I went through. And I'm going, you know what? There's never, there's never where it's 100% the other person's fault. Never. You're in a relationship. It might be 99, their fault, and 1% yours, <laughs> but you're in this relationship. So you don't get the luxury, luxury of saying, I'm just the total victim here. In most settings, you know, it's a 40-60, a 49-51 split. I don't really care how you put that. But if you don't own your part, whatever that part is in relationship, you're going to get into that mode of, see, look how bad I was treated. I'm just the victim here. They just done that then. And then begin to start living that way, which we believe is what's happening so much in our society that it's a pandemic level of where it's just easier to blame someone else. Let's blame, you know, my spouse. Let's blame the government. Let's blame, blame the school district. Let's blame, you fill in the blank of who it is you're blaming. The moment you go down that road, is that you now are what? You are seeing yourself as the victim. Are there true victims in this world? We will say this over and over again. Yes, there are. The question is, what is it doing to you and what are you gonna do about it? You are a victim, but that does not give you the right to stay in a place of victimhood. It just says, okay, you know what this is now. What is it that you need to do about this? Because it's what it, it's telling you. So now let's move from there and figure out what are we going to do about this if you are the true victim? <clears throat> and not put yourself in a place of saying, boy, because then it becomes very simple of what we were talking about earlier when whether you're in a large organization or you truly have been victimized or whatever it is for you to turn around and use excuses for your own behavior there's anything but appropriate there's anything but that you know that is real and if you will say transparent and it's causing harm the end result is it's going to cause more harm than where you started if you'd started way back here just owning it and figuring out how is it I'm gonna work through this so I don't project this out on someone else by being in victimhood or being in denial or whatever it is I'm trying to use to get out of this role, but I don't have to own it because that's the tough part. I think one of the interesting aspects of life is that some people define themselves as optimists and other people define themselves as pessimists. Personally, I think you can choose which one of those you would like to be. You can choose to be an optimist or you can choose to be a pessimist. Here's how you do that. An event occurs in your life. An event. Doesn't matter what it is. And you can take that event and say, the outcome of this event is going to be the worst for me personally. I'm going to be the loser here. Or you can say, this event is going to work for my benefit. Somehow, this is going to become something that is beneficial to me. Same thing. So 
uh, my family and I were driving to Florida once from New York. We were towing a trailer. It had a bunch of bicycles and some play equipment on it. And we had forgotten to take our van out of overdrive so we got better gas mileage and put it simply into the regular drive since we're pulling a trailer. Didn't think of it. We got through the mountains of West Virginia and we're coming down in North Carolina and all of a sudden we smelled kind of a funny smell. We got through North Carolina, have South Carolina, and all of a sudden my van shifted down into second gear and then shifted down into first gear because we totally burned out the transmission. I mean, it's completely gone. We're on vacation. We have eight days. We're going to Florida to have a lot of fun and ride our bikes and go swimming. And we are in the middle of South Carolina with absolutely no idea where we are, what to do, how we're going to do it. My op option always is this is going to work out pretty cool for our family. I'm telling an actual story here. We pulled off and said, okay, we drove almost all night long. It's 830 in the morning. Let's stop and get breakfast. So we picked the nearest restaurant, happened to be a McDonald's. We all went in to get pancakes and, and uh, sandwiches and whatever. And it, 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 we're in a very tough place. I mean, let me tell you, it's really, really difficult. And, and so I happened to mention to the manager, we just burned out our transmission. And just for fun, we thought we'd go out for breakfast and figure out what to do next. He says, what are you going to do next? I said, I have no idea. I don't even know where we are. And he said, well, you're in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And I said, okay, that means nothing to me, but thank you very much. And he said, it just so happens that my wife's brother is a mechanic uh, and it's a place that you would never find him. He's back in the woods on the other side of Orangeburg. Let me give him a call and see if he can help you. I, okay, I don't know this guy. I don't know where we're going. Let's find out. So he gets on the phone, calls his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law has a transmission shop. And he says, yes, send them over. I'll take care of them. I don't know these people. I don't know what's going on. We drive through Orangeville, Orangeburg, South Carolina, in first gear, towing our trailer. The van smells like something's burning down underneath. We go through about seven or eight miles an hour. We get out into the woods. We go down this road to a mechanic. He puts us in front of all of his other uh, jobs that were due for that day because we were on vacation while we were driving from McDonald's to that uh, transmission shop, he found a used transmission for our year van and had it coming in from another shop. While we're sitting there, my kids got all their bikes off and they're riding around having a grand time. A guy sitting in the, the waiting area with us had heard our story. He pulls out five $100 bills and says, I just want to help you guys have a great vacation. I'm, I'm not making this up. So we get our van done. He charges $1,200 for a, a used transmission, a rebuilt transmission, put it in. I had $500 towards it. We get everything all loaded back up again. He says, now be sure to not use your overdrive. Be sure to just, even if you're going to get worse gas mileage, really better than burning out your transmission. Very, very much. We went down. My family said, that was the best vacation we ever had because we figured something is about to happen. We never had planned on 
Right. And let's find out what that is. So we can choose the events of life, create ourselves as victims, or we can say, this happened. Right. What am I going to do with it? And how do I step from this moment forward without becoming a perpetual victim? That right. is, it is a choice. Right. And 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 a tough choice. I'm I understand it's tough. Does every situation work out perfectly? I think yes. I really do. But not necessarily in the way that you might think. So yeah. it cost us 700 bucks. It was out of our vacation fund. The guy helped us with $500. My kids are still telling that story about some guy. They've also passed that on when they were in a situation and had an extra 40 bucks in their pocket. They could have spent it on something else, but they found somebody with a greater need and said, let me give you 40 bucks just to make your day a little better. So it actually has become a way of life. That's what we're talking about. And so it's that whole aspect of when you live life as not the perpetual victim, because the, the perpetual victim is always about someone else made me. And the, the bottom line is no one makes you do virtually anything. You choose to respond that way. And so when people say, well, they made me so angry, I go, no, they didn't. You chose to respond in kind, in anger, because of what they did. But they didn't make you angry. You chose that. The victim says, you did it. You made me do this. Like, no, they didn't. But that dynamic is extremely difficult for so much within our culture of people grabbing hold of that. I mean, I was in education for uh, almost 20 years. And how many times have I heard, did I hear students say, well, you failed me. Like, I didn't fail you. You failed yourself. I didn't make those choices. I didn't choose not to do the assignments. I didn't choose not to study. <laughs> you knew what the you knew what the parameters were, but you chose not to do those things. You're the one that chose to fail, not me. Now, that I, said, I can know somebody well enough that I know where their buttons and levers are. Oh yeah. So oh, using yeah. a certain word or a tone of voice has a predictable outcome that right. that a person who struggles with that victim identity is going to have patterns that can be utilized <laughs> by others or a single person. I understand that. And getting out of that pattern is a tremendously challenging situation in life. What we're saying, though, is if you grip it, if you take ownership for it, it may take some practice. It is certainly a skill that is going to take uh, some mastery, even to start having it come out in your life. But to be able to say, instead, you made me so angry to say, you did this and I am angry about it. I'm choosing anger, but I'm going to own that. Right. And that gives me the privilege of changing it when I'm ready to do so. That's a different right. way of walking through life than simply saying, 
you hurt me. I'm that, uh, the victim here. And that's just the way it is. So let's, we ended up last time talking a bit about forgiveness and victimhood and how all that works. Yeah, I'm going to kind of move us in that. So let's pick that back up again, Mike. Um, your thoughts on how that works within victim. What is, what's the, what's the connection between those two? Forgiveness in my thinking really is self-empowering. It is to say what is going on in my life belongs to me. So if I want to choose continuing to use those wounds to hurt myself, my anger, my poison, my toxin, my misery, then I can continue doing that to myself. Forgiveness in a certain sense, go back to my van and the trailer that had all of our bicycles and junk on it. If I had unhooked the trailer from my van, my van could have driven away free from the load it was carrying. That's what forgiveness really is. It unhooks the load. It doesn't say it was all right. It doesn't say it's okay that you did that to me or that I experienced that in my life. It is not granting permission for someone else to continue doing that. You stop what is wrong. You interrupt what is destructive. I, that is absolutely correct. It is to say, I'm not hitching that to my life to drag around right. and use against myself and use against others from this moment forward. And the moment that gets unhooked is now. That's what forgiveness is. And, and when you couple that with beginning to grab a hold of what it means to be wounded, um, there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, there's, there's seems to be this idea that, that being wounded is used in a really, I would say, negative way that people use it for victimhood when I'm going, no, that's, everyone gets wounded. And that's a true statement. There's no one in life that does not get wounded at some level of some kind. And so to use that as an escape or to use that as uh, a place of saying, well, see, they wounded me. I'm like, okay, but everyone gets wounded at some level. The question now is, what do you do with that? Now that you know that, what do you do with it? But a lot of times people don't even understand the woundedness that's taking place. They don't even know how to begin to forgive because they don't know what the woundedness is. I think that that's the kind of thing where in community you can figure that out a whole lot easier. You can, if you've got trusted friends that you can actually have those discussions. But as when I talk with people and work with people who have been wounded, it's like, we're not going to sit here and assess blame because of what's happened to you. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about, all right, now you know where that woundedness came from. The real question is, what do you do with that woundedness? Are you going to be the victim or are you going to find a way to forgive them and yourself or whatever that is so that you can unhook 
of that whole thing of unhook that trailer from that woundedness so you can move on in life. Because if you don't do that, they're going to continue to have what we lovingly call, they have you hooked. And you're responding to the emotions that are from that woundedness and they have you hooked. So who has control? Not you, the person who's got you hooked. Yeah. So you've got to come to some reality that woundedness is, it happens to everyone. So what are you going to do with it? What has it done to you? What is it doing to you? What are you going to do with that woundedness? And it's time, if you want to change how you live your life, it is time to unhook. And the only way you're going to unhook that is to forgive them and forgive yourself for that relationship to be able to truly unhook. Because then you can start dealing with healing as you move past that. One of the things that might be good for another podcast coming up is learning how to forgive yourself. We're not going to solve that one in this, but that might be a good uh, topic for us to uh, take on. You may be struggling with some things that are incredibly profound. We are not making light of that. We're not saying those things are unimportant. We're not saying that there shouldn't be some kind of accountability or a, an outcome for one person who abuses or victimizes another person. Exactly. I, we understand all of that. We agree right. with all of that. What right. we're saying is the way in which your life is being controlled by the victim status in you, you have the right, the privilege, the possibility to simply say, today's the last day. I am going to separate from my own victimhood and I'm going to forgive for me and begin the process of moving towards healing. So if you have some questions you would like to ask or a response, you can write to Mike at grippingreality.com, spell Mike with a Y, spell Mike with an I. We'll get the email and we'll either engage it here on this podcast with uh, out using particular names and sensitive information, or we'll write directly back to you and not bring it up here on our podcast. Really up to you. Right. So thanks for joining us today. Hope this has been helpful to you. Have a great one.